we could all listen to Linda all night. Yeah. I mean, that's just amazing. Um, the scripture was coming to me as I was listening to, where is, where is she? Where'd she go? It was like, uh, Jesus said, Nathaniel, a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. You know, and uh, yeah, it's just amazing. How did you manage to avoid not becoming religious, Linda? I mean, that's just amazing. <laughs> so beautiful. So beautiful. Oh, sorry. A couple of steps. So yes. You are now I'll grab some water as well, actually, because I don't want to put the fire out or anything. But. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to say a couple of things, actually. Um, I had some things typed out to say, and then, of course, you can't be at this meeting for three days and not be totally changed. <laughs> so then I, I, um, I had this pen. It's like a magic pen where you can actually write on top of your paper little notes. But my problem is I can't read my handwriting. <laughs> so I might be squinting, you know. When I went to school, a teacher saw my handwriting and said it was like a drunk spider walking through ink. But I'm claiming it was a spider full of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. I wanted to say, um, I've never seen a bunch of theologians lead worship before. Uh, absolutely amazing, because I've spoken to Rock and I can hear Shade. I mean, she drops more truth bombs introducing a song than you can hear in an average church in a year, like, you know. And then there's uh, Sarah on the keyboards who played that beautiful Be There My Vision before I got up and spoke on, on uh, Friday morning. You know, I was really nervous. And then that started to play, and I just felt like I was back home again, and it was just powerful. Thank you so much for that, you know. Um, I'm so happy, as Linda has shared, to, to know that it's all finished, it's all done. To preach the finished work of Christ means I don't have to come up here and do a motivational talk. Isn't that great? I don't have to motivate you. You don't have to motivate me. Praise God, there is no motivation. It's so beautiful. Um, what do we have that we didn't receive? You know, so it's just so wonderful. Um, we had that scripture in Colossians 3 earlier where it said, since you have been raised... That's, that's everybody here, isn't it? Put your hand up if you've been raised. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your eyes on things above. Why would I do motivational preaching then? That's going to drop your eyes onto yourself, isn't it? You know? And that's what happens. We start off, many of us start off with our eyes in the right place, and then they just get taken down out of the heavenly realm by all this motivational sort of exhortation to try harder, do more, do, 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 do. So I was thinking of Goliath when he turned up at uh, 1 Samuel 17, at that battle that uh, uh, Linda was talking about. And he stood there before a body, a powerful body of God's people. And he reduced that body to a group of individuals, scared individuals, with one message, send me out a man. See? Motivational preaching. And so we kept saying that every day for 40 days, send me out a man. And what that did was every man there began to do this. Oh my God, I'm not nine feet tall and I don't have that armor or that shield or that spear, you see? And that's the danger of sitting under motivational teaching again and again and again. Your vision will be taken out of the heavenly realm or right down to earth with a bump. And you'll just be totally fixated on yourself and not see the resurrection of Christ at all, praise God. I wanted to say, 
I really felt strongly when, when Greg preached on the first night and to hear Bertie preaching that you are a prophesying to the body. You know, Linda was talking about the wonderful things we can feel happening in this body, but I really believe when one part of the body is blessed, the whole body is impacted. Yeah. You know, so when I see Bertie giving everything, I just know that's going out across the body of Christ, not just digitally. I mean in the spirit, you know. God calls these things forth in the spirit, you know. Can I have this thing proclaimed? It's his joy that it would be out of the mouth of the body. Like I explained the other night with our, uh, my son and waiting for his granddaughter, or his, his daughter, our granddaughter to speak, you know. The whole of heaven wants this message spoken out. And um, we had that wonderful scripture about the bones, you know. It started with a rattle. It started with a rattle. And that's what you do. You go around and you rattle cages. You rattle, 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 rattle. And you know the great thing about rattling a cage? People discover the doors wide open. <laughs> Praise God. So keep rattling those cages. Just keep rattling. Praise God. I want to talk a little bit about communion tonight. Linda's already talked about what's happening in the body, the joy of communion. And, and I had a picture of communion some years ago when our eldest son, who now has a daughter of his own, when he was only about two or something, he'd been learning to speak and my sister came up from Dublin to visit us, and she had no idea of his capacity or what stage he was at. So she sat him down, and she was asking him questions. What's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? How old are you? And she was getting all these one-word answers. Blue. <laughs> cheese. Two. And finally she said, Christopher, isn't this wonderful? We're having a conversation. And we never forget what that two-year-old said. He looked at her, he said, you're asking me questions and I'm giving you the answers. That's not a conversation. Now sometimes I think about that and I wonder if one day when I'm face to face with the Lord, he'll say, Phelan, you asked me a lot of questions and I give you a lot of answers, but we never had the conversation, the level of communion that we're having now, you know? And there is a level of communion. There's a level of communion which is happening now. Amen? And we're being called up into that higher level of communion. And by the proclamation of this beautiful message, as Linda just said, you can feel your spirit jump. You know, you can speak. So that we have the capacity by the power of our voice to call people up out of the grave. Can you believe that? So amazing, you know, because we, we do have this resurrection life within us, although we struggle to articulate what that is. And, and I want to just talk a little bit about that tonight because um, that scripture that we talked about, setting your eyes on things above, the first thing you see is that Christ has sat down. Now, why has he sat down? Uh, because everything's been done. Because he's the author and the finisher. See, there's no fear about the future in heaven because they know that the promise is sure and what he said he's going to do. There's no doubt about that. And so there's no... Um, but when we have a fear of the future, when people have a fear into us, it brings our vision down from the heavenly realm to the earthly realm. Jesus Christ is the last word in our lives, for he was the first word in our lives. And what a word. And here is the word he has in our lives. Christ raised from the dead. Do you believe you're in Christ? Then why look for your living among the dead? Don't look for the living among the dead. Praise God, it's so beautiful. To be totally at rest about the future, that's, that's our lives. God said to the first Adam, in dying you will die. I think he can say to all born of the last Adam, in dying you will live. 
Praise the Lord. He speaks to us not as temporal beings, but as eternal beings. And so when he speaks to us, like he spoke to Linda, my pure and beautiful, precious daughter, you know, not waiting for you to prove you were or to do anything to be, he imparted to you that life. You know, that's his work. It's not your work to become that. That's his work to impart that being. And he does that. He does that so well. But then we take that and we try and package it into five steps into doing that. And we just take all the power out of it, which is why Paul's letter to the Galatians, he's absolutely furious because somebody's tried to package the gospel and add a little bit to it. And every time you add a little bit to it, you take out the joy. You take out the power. Praise God. So to proclaim the gospel in the power of the Spirit is to declare what is because he lives, because of the resurrection. Not what might be if you live long enough and holy enough. Praise the Lord. We were talking about Saul earlier, about Ananias. Remember I give that example about how Ananias saw Saul of Tarsus and he was busy telling the Lord what an evil man this was. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, well, can I tell you who he is? Isn't it interesting that Saul of Tarsus uh, when the Lord imparted to him, he wasn't exactly repenting, was he? Didn't exactly meet him at his best moment, did he? He was on his way to kill Christians, you know? <laughs> how, how does that fit into your theology of repentance? The heavenly eternal calling transcends the earthly seasons, the earthly realm, you know? I thought about this the other day. I was in the local supermarket, and I was approaching vegetable counter and the Lord said something to me you know and I thought but I'm in the supermarket I'm, I'm at the why speak to me now you know but it's not that he sees some sort of secular holy divide in places you know his glory fills the whole earth why, why can't he speak to you anywhere he wants to speak to you you know we have this sort of building mentality don't we praise the Lord so good he speaks the most wonderful words over the most unlikely of people that's what kept getting Jesus into trouble they kept saying to him, you can't say things like that over people like that. Remember the day the prostitute walked into Simon the Pharisee's house. Simon was wondering if this man, Jesus, was the true prophet. So he watched his reaction to this woman weeping over him and crying over him, you know. And then he said to himself, yeah, I know now he's not a true prophet. If he was, he knew what sort of woman that was. And then Jesus, of course, who knew what he was thinking, said, in effect, yeah, I know what sort of woman she is. I've known her since before the beginning of time. You're the one who doesn't know her. You see her after her earthly record. I see her after her heavenly calling. She is who I declare her to be. Those who've been forgiven much, love much. You think of that woman. She had to go right into the lion's den. Imagine hearing in your village that Jesus is there and you want to see him. And where is he? He's in the Pharisee's house. Praise God. See, Jesus is good. He, he'd go to anybody's house. You know, sometimes, you know, he loves the Pharisees. You know, don't be too hard on the Pharisees. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus says from the cross, they're only trying to save themselves. Yeah. You're looking at one. Hey, recovering elder brother. This is a, this is a recovery group, isn't it? Isn't it? So there are some beautiful pictures in the scriptures of the heavenly realm transcending the earthly seasons and, and us being called up, you know. And like many of us will go away from this weekend and something's changed in us, but we can't articulate it yet. We caught something. And we can't even vocalize it yet, but we caught something. Something in us uh, was lifted up. And, uh, and I love that experience of 
of the Spirit of God catching men and women up, you know. One of my favorite examples of that, I mentioned it already, John the Baptist in the womb of his mother, you know, where at the voice of Mary, he jumped because his eternal calling is to acknowledge the Christ. And there he is in the womb. And Mary's so full of the Holy Spirit, she just says, hello, you know what? You are so full of the resurrection power, young lady. When you say hello to people, they don't know what's happened in their lives. That's how much of, we're chock full of the Holy Spirit, you know. And, but to acknowledge that, see, the communication of your faith becomes effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing within you, which is why we need the preaching of this message of what we have and who we are, that we may acknowledge this, you know, and walk on air and call others up into that higher place. So I, I love those verses. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, I know that by heart. Anybody here from a Catholic background knows that by heart. You know? See, Protestants always think that the most commonly quoted scripture in the world is John 3.16. Nah. <laughs> you just think of many times people say the Hail Mary. Come on. So in hearing her voice, John the Baptist jumps in the womb. And uh, that was the time that the angel Gabriel, when he appeared to John's father, remember in the temple, Zechariah, and he said, your son's going to be filled with the spirit from the womb. You know, that was the moment. It was Mary's voice. Again, the impartation of the Spirit. What a day when you and I, we speak to people and they're filled by the Spirit because of our words. That's the level that we're called up into. And that's the level that we can operate in, praise God, by the proclamation of the gospel. Just to proclaim the gospel. Uh, signs and wonders, that's, you know, I remember now, it's just coming to me, uh, Catherine Kuhlman meetings. I didn't know much about Catherine Kuhlman, but I think I remember once that she never, ever asked anybody up to the platform to be prayed for for healing. She just preached the gospel, and people came up to testify that they were healed sitting in their seats. Power of the gospel. Praise God. So I, I love that story about the angel appearing to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, because he says, uh, I've got some good news for you. Your wife, Elizabeth, who's been barren for many years, she's going to have a child, you know, and he, he just tells him, you know. And Zechariah says, can that be? Can that be? He doesn't believe. And so the angel says, my God, you know, your mouth is going to be shut up, you know. Now, we understand now from a grace perspective, it's, it, he shut his own mouth through unbelief. And you know the way... We're having an ability through the gospel of grace to prophesy over people. I, I find that one of the releases in my life, I find it so easy to prophesy over people. But you see, the church on hearing the gospel, if the response is, how can that be? We shut our own mouths. You know, We're not able to speak life over each other because we have not received what has been imparted. This beautiful, it's a common reaction. You know, How can this be? This is too good to be true. Praise God, you know. But when we come to the place where we're able to write, we agree. Homo logos, we make the same confession as Christ we made. His name is beloved. You know, then our mouths are opened. And remember when Zechariah wrote those words, he prophesied and prophesied and prophesied, you know. It's so beautiful. And so we have that capacity to release each other around these tables, to see each other after the Spirit and catch, each, catch a vision of who we are, call each other up, 
and to release that word of prophecy. Um, and I want to tell you that words of prophecy, and I know we've used that word in a certain context over the years, but it's our first language. You know, for the heavenly realm, the first language is thanksgiving. So we're always full of, to be full of thanksgiving. What's going to come out of your mouth is going to be the words of God. If you're full of the love of God, and when you speak, really, it's going to be of the Spirit, you know. So even if you have correct doctrine, if you're approaching somebody with a wrong attitude, shut your mouth. <laughs> it's not going to do any good, you know. If you're not being filled with the love of God, then you're not speaking on his behalf. You're speaking on your own behalf. So you can know a lot of stuff in your head, but you still need to have that experience of thinking, my God, he loves me, you know, and if he loves me, how can I not forgive my brother? So scales fall from eyes when people are addressed according to the heavenly realm. Let me tell you a story about my mom. My mom passed away on the very last days of last year. Good Catholic lady, uh, lovely lady, and uh, 25 years ago, we took her to a wacky Pentecostal meeting. And from time to time, I would do this, like Linda's mum would ring her up and say, watch Billy Graham, you know. From time to time, I'd grab my mum and dad and say, there's a really good preacher coming. You need to come. And they go, oh, God. And I'd bring them along, you know. Well, this meeting was so wacky that I sat there. I remember sitting there in the front row with my hands over my face, looking between two fingers, you know, at all the stuff that was going on in the meeting, you know, and people rolling around and laughing and all sorts of lovely stuff. But I thought, my mom and dad will never speak to me again. And then suddenly this lovely American lady crosses the room and says, hey, I got a word for your mother. Do you mind if I give it to her? <laughs> I thought, oh, God, you know, <laughs> oh, dear, yeah. And she walked across the room and she looked at my mother and she said, the Lord said to tell you, you're a great mom. He thinks you're a great mom. And that word went straight into her spirit. I don't know what she was thinking about herself. She had seven children. I think she must have thought she was a terrible mom because that word transformed her. Now, you fast forward 25 years, and she's now had dementia for 10 years. And I can go in and see her, and the days I can go in and see her, and she doesn't know where she is. She's in such a terrible, horrible, dark place. And, and I'm trying to talk to her, and I'm answering every question she's asking and I'm trying to calm her fears, and there's nothing I can say that will make the terror go away. And I just say to her, Mom, do you remember? Do you remember what the Lord said to you? He thinks you're a great mom. My God, you know, her eyes just light up. Didn't this happen, Nicola? She would just come right out of the darkness. She'd say, really? Really? Yes. He really thinks you're a great mom, you know. Power of a word from the heavenly realm caused the scales to drop from people's eyes. It's so powerful. You know, to hear those words, they have the capacity to bring people out of the grave. You know, and, and God has given us this, this capacity in, in what we have. It's so beautiful. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. My words are stronger than the death that's reigning in this world, you know. I'll give you another example. It's one of my favorites. It's when Jesus walked into Jericho and he passed under a tree and up that tree was the worst thief in the city. And of course, the Holy Spirit says, yeah, this will be a good guy. <laughs> this is just the guy you're looking for, you know. And Jesus knew him not by his earthly record, but by his heavenly calling. 
If he had spoken to him after his earthly record, then he would have said something like this. Hey, you. Because it's pretty impersonal religion, isn't it? Hey, you. Get down out of that tree. Pay back all the money that you've stolen. And then I'll come and eat with you. That's how the gospel is commonly proclaimed. Repentance has been made a work. You need to do something about the sin in your life in order that God may forgive you and have fellowship with you. That's the gospel from the mouth of an earthly, natural man. Because to the natural man, that sounds reasonable because his faith has always been in himself. But there's no power in any message that points you to yourself except the power of condemnation. And condemnation does have some power. You can make church scores out of condemnation. Yeah, you can get people to stop their drinking and stop their smoking and their cussing and go along and attend and all that. You can do that, you know. But there is no power in condemnation to change the heart. Right. And what you find is that you will sit there and you will judge those other people outside as lesser than you because they didn't repent the way you did. Yep. See? Can't change the heart. That's called elder brother syndrome. It's an endemic condition in the church. I suffered from it. I'm a recovering elder brother. I, I saw this thing, actually, during the time of the... Uh, Nicholas suffered from post-viral fatigue for many years, you know. And a lot of people sometimes after, after COVID, they had this thing was a post-viral fatigue. And, and uh, there was a name for it, long COVID syndrome. And there were three symptoms. There was a lack of breath. There was a fuzziness. You couldn't think properly. And then there was a total lethargy, a lack of energy. And I thought, you know what? I think there's something called long church syndrome. And what happens, you see, if you sit for long enough under motivational teaching that's telling you what you should do in order to be blessed, you'll end up with a total lack of breath. You won't be able to prophesy. You'll have a fuzzy head. You won't know who you are in Christ or where you won't have the mind of Christ at all, you know. And you will have a complete lethargy. There'll be no joy in your life. Praise God. Because somebody has put all that weight on you to try and produce life for yourself. All earthly religion can say is one day if you. What heavenly revelation can say is today because he. Today because he. That's what Jesus looks up into that tree and he says, come down for I must today have fellowship with you. It's so beautiful. Hurry down. See, Zacchaeus had sat under all that condemnation from his neighbors and from himself for years and it had never changed him. Never changed him. They had the main tool in the box, the toolbox of, 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 of many of us in church for years was condemnation. No power. But yet, after coming down out of that tree and sitting with Jesus under the heavenly vision of him for two hours, he stands up in the middle of the afternoon. Luke says he rose up. He rose up and he said, I know who I am. I'm the man who gives back who gives half his wealth to the poor and pays back four times what I stole. That's who I am. And Jesus said, look, a son of Abraham. Now, he'd seen that two hours ago, but nobody else had. And that's what we're gifted with, isn't it? That we can look at people and see who they are according to the resurrection from the dead, according to what Christ has done for them. We don't have to speak to people according to their earthly record. What revelation is in that in telling people what they're doing? I remember there was a pastor in San Francisco I heard the story, and uh, he had got a whole pile of hell's angels that got saved in his, uh, uh, through a revival that was happening in his church. And these guys were well off the, 
They weren't really exactly what you'd call normal churchgoers. One of them on the way to a Bible study planted a bomb in an in, in rival gang's headquarters on the way to the Bible study. Why did this guy, you know? And uh, some, of the, uh, some of the good church-going people, you know, they had uh, complained because now that these hell's angels were in the church, other bikers were hanging around the door. They were looking in going, what's going on in there, you know? And some of them were smoking something you shouldn't be smoking in the porch of the church. And one of the deacons came to him and said, listen, there's something going on here. Can you smell that, you know? Tell them guys to stop that. And he was getting upset too. And then he said, the Lord spoke to him and said this, what's your problem? Cats meow, dogs bark, sinners sin. What's your problem? Praise the Lord. Jesus, you see, saw Zacchaeus as he was called to be. Jesus, you know, he said, I, I've, I've been destined to eat with you from all eternity. Oh, how I have longed to eat with you. He saw him in a totally different way. And it's so beautiful. You know, to not see someone by their earthly record you could say is to see them as if they have no earthly record. I'll say it again. To not see somebody according to the earthly record is a bit like seeing them as if they had no earthly record. Jesus was not the first person to see Zacchaeus as if he had no earthly record. His mother and father did the day he was born. They held him. They held him and looked at him when he had no earthly record and they named him Zacchaeus. Do you know what it means? Pure and righteous. Forty years later, Jesus stands under that tree and says, Hi, pure and righteous. <laughs> Come on down. I've been waiting to eat with you. That's called the gospel. Born from innocence. Praise God. To know what he has done for people changes the way we speak to them. On that day in Jericho, everyone saw him as beyond redemption, but Jesus saw him and called him as his parents had dreamed of him being. Hurry down, for I must stay at your house today. See, Jesus came as a fulfillment of Zacchaeus' parents' dream for him, because that had been in the dream in the heart of the Father from all eternity for Zacchaeus. A dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes a heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. <laughs> Zacchaeus went looking for a tree, and the tree of life found him. That's good, isn't it? That good news casts out the fear of death. Praise God. For years in gatherings like this, you know, I, I would struggle. And I've said this to several people since I've been here over the last few days. I would be sitting in a meeting, and somebody would be leading worship, you know, and a voice would say in my head, if these people here knew what you were really like, they wouldn't even speak to you. In other words, a reminder of things that you had done that you were ashamed of, which you probably did when you were alone, you know. And uh, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me in recent years, Phelan, that you, if these people knew what you, that you was not you. That you alone, I never saw you alone. That was never my vision of you alone. And besides, when you did that, you did that because you thought I had abandoned you, that you were all alone. I was right there when you did that. You just didn't know, you know. That's why Jesus said from the cross, Father, they're only trying to save themselves, yeah. you know. Somebody's drowning in a river and you jump in to save them and they give you a black eye. Are you going to blame them? They're only trying to save themselves. They don't know what they're doing. 
That you was not you. I never saw you alone. The example I sometimes think about is Nicola, because when I first saw her, everybody who had ever seen her had seen her according to her individual record. We know her, we know her record, her family, we know what she does, we know her name. But when I saw her, I saw her differently. I didn't see her alone, I saw her with me. I know who she is, she's the one with me. And so when I spoke to her, I had that in mind, she is my betrothed, you know. She might not know it yet, but I'm going to speak to her, I'm going to prophesy over her. And she's going to prophesy over me, and because we prophesied over each other, we rose up into that vision of one life, praise God. And that's what it is to minister the life of Christ to people, is to have his vision of them, not alone, but with him. Rising up from a life of always becoming and never being to being with him, praise God. To prophesy that, to speak that out, praise God, over people. Such a powerful thing. I love the way Paul in Ephesians 5 pictures Christ speaking to his church as a husband speaks to his wife. He says, his words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. When we speak words of the Spirit over people, those words have the power to bring out the best in people because people are at their best when they see that God is with them, that he's for them, that he's not against them. Praise God. That's been the experience of so many people. We've looked at various uh, pictures of that. I, I talked about Gideon earlier in the Bible and what had been spoken over his life, you know. Um, and to come back to that situation was a case. You see, when, and I'll use myself as an example, I mean, when I was six months of age, I, I behaved like a dog. I would have eaten my dinner off the floor. I would have done my business on the floor. I howled like a dog until somebody fed me. My parents never spoke to me like a dog. They spoke to me as the most precious person in the world. And because they never, ever, ever changed their mind about that, I grew up into their vision of me. Their words formed me. Their words made me, praise God. And I grew up into that. And they made sure that they never changed. Imagine if you met somebody who just had a child, and uh, you said to them, that's lovely, that's wonderful, your child's a month old, what, what, what's their name? And they said, well, this week it's Mary. What do you mean this week? Well, last week was Jane, but didn't behave herself. We changed it to Mary. It's a nicer name. If she behaves herself and keeps behaving, we'll keep it at Mary. But if she doesn't behave herself, she's going back to Jane, you know? What sort of child would grow up? How would they think having been named after the performance? Why are people so mixed up in church or suffering from mental illness? God, people keep changing their name according to their performance. Hey, now you're a Christian. Now you're backslidden. Now you're this. Now you're that, you know? Jesus has one name for you. And he just keeps saying it again and again and again and again, like the prodigal son coming home and he's giving up all these excuses and reasons why you need to name me a servant and the father's not listening. He said, get my coat, get my ring, get my shoes. He's forgotten who he is. Let me remind you who you are. You're my son. You're my child. They just keep saying the same thing. That's what fathers and mothers do. We prophesy over the church to bring them into maturity, you know? And as this gospel is going forth, it's causing the church to be constituted, to be brought together. Because the next thing that comes after the rattle is the bones come together. A few bones coming together here and there. A few tendons going on. That's the power of the gospel. To cause that life to come forth, praise God. 
A father may think he's helping his children by continually advising them on what they could do better, but all the children are hearing all the time is, you're not enough, you're not enough, you're not enough. Such words don't call men up to live from Christ's vision of them. They pull them down to live before men's vision of them. Such words call our li- cause our lives to fall from, be- from being to becoming, and that's a long way to fall. just have to ask Adam. If all I'm hearing ever, always in a church environment, is what I could be doing better, then the constant sound of my own thoughts hinders me from being able to speak from heaven's perspective. Jesus said, do not hide your light under a bushel. A bushel was a dry measure. The driest church environment is a measuring environment. It will dry up the prophetic. It'll dry up the gospel. How can my voice dress them in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, if I have not put on the new self myself, created to be like God in true holiness and righteousness? So preach to me of his resurrection again. For in that news, I find the power to reign in life over the fear of death. The Lord once spoke to me about the inability of the church to to prophesy for this reason, because we keep hearing all the time about what we're not doing right. Our vision keeps being pulled down out of the heavenly realm into the earthly realm. Did anybody ever see a film called The King's Speech? So if you remember... This is about the father of the queen who just passed away. I think he was George the George the Sixth. I think he was. He was plagued by a terrible stutter uh, from childhood, and in this film, it shows him going along to a speech therapist who has a very unusual way of treating people. And at one point, he hands the king a book of poetry and says, "Now read that." But before you start, he puts the headphones on him and plays music very, very loud. And so the king begins to read, but he can't hear what he's saying. He can't hear himself and because fr- the music's so loud. So in frustration, he pulls off the headphones and throws them away and then storms out. But the therapist hands him a record of what he's just recorded. And then later on, when the king is in despair, he puts the record on. And he is shocked to hear himself for the first time ever speak perfectly without any impediment. And what's happened really is that the sound of his own stammering, when he couldn't hear the sound of his own stammering, he prophesied completely beautifully. And that's what the gospel of his grace does for us. It shuts down the voice of the accuser, the one who's pointing out all your problems all the time. And when that voice gets silenced, you find that you can speak out beautifully. This is the power of the gospel. When this truth becomes rooted and established in your mind, that in the heavenly realm, there is only one record that can be heard playing over your life, And it is the sound of Christ's perfect record, not your broken one. And when you realize that, then you too will find yourself speaking in an unbroken way. Your words will more reveal to people Christ's perfecting opinion of them than the earth's critical opinion of them. And when we speak words of the Spirit, those words have the power to bring out the best in people, for they're at their best when they see that God is with them. To proclaim the gospel and the power of the Spirit is to proclaim what is because he lives, not what might be, if you live long enough and holy enough. Last words of Jesus to his disciples before he sent them out, freely you have received. Church, what do you have that you didn't freely get? Freely you have received, so freely give. No charging. I went to Rome once, 
on a tour and there was a church there and many churches there. There was one we could go in and see the chains of St. Peter, you know. But there was a sign on the door. I took a picture of it. He said, charging people to enter the church is not allowed. I thought, amen. <laughs> I took a photograph of that. Praise God. Is that word, you see, there's a beautiful word. Jesus began his earthly ministry with one word. And this is the word that brings the heavenly realm into the earthly realm. This is the word that's good news for the adulterer, good news for the thief, it's good news for the murderer. This is the word. Listen to the first word out of Jesus' mouth as he begins his earthly ministry. You know this scripture well from Luke 4. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. Isn't that amazing that Jesus began his ministry sitting down? And the first word out of his mouth was today. Today. This has been fulfilled in your presence. Today. That's our joy of this gospel. We can walk up to the, uh, to the Saul's of Tarsus and to the Zacchaeus's and anybody else in this world, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say today. All the earth can say is one day, if you. We can say today because he. Isn't that a great joy? It's just so beautiful to see what the eternal heavenly realm can see and speak of it as a present reality, not a future hope. Praise God. I'm going to try and close. There was one little phrase that, that came in my spirit some time ago. It was something that Jesus said <laughs> to his disciples, and I felt the Holy Spirit was saying this to the church. Do not say four more months, and then... The harvest. Stop saying that. Do you remember when Jesus first used that phrase? He had just spoken to the woman at the well, and she had gone off into the village to tell her friends, and the disciples came up to him again, and they thought he was tired, you know, and, and uh, they only saw what had happened, that little village, that little Samaritan village, they just saw that as some sort of stopping off point on the way to something better, you know? And Jesus said, you're missing something right now. You're living like there's better days coming, but they never arrive. I lived that way for years. It was always about some great day that was coming in the future, you know, but you never seem to get there. The Holy Spirit still says to the church, stop saying four more months and then the harvest. Open your eyes. The harvest is here because the seed that had to fall into the ground to bring the harvest fell. Christ fell into the ground and his resurrection is the first fruits of that harvest. And now the harvest is right before us. A whole world reconciled to God, no longer counting their sins against them, just waiting to hear. That's the harvest. The fields are white on the harvest. Praise God for us to go out and just to proclaim this amazing message that Christ has risen from the dead, that death has been killed. Praise God. Death has been abolished. Death has been destroyed. And that promise is able to keep us 
even in the worst situation, when you're looking at your situation, when you go back from this conference, whatever, and you look at your dead situation, as Abraham looked at the deadness of Sarah's womb, but he did not waver because of the promise that filled him with strength, praise God, to glorify God because it's all over, because he has done it. Because when your eyes are picked up and you can see in the heavenly realm, you can see that he sat down. There he is, seated in the heavenly realm. That was Christ in that synagogue. That was the Logos sitting down, having proclaimed, it is finished, even before he began. Like he spoke at the beginning into that chaos. You know, he spoke and light came. There he sat down, he proclaimed that, he sat down, it's all finished. Even before he arrived, he had gone to the cross before time began. Praise God. So he's able to go up to anybody and speak to them as if what needs to be done for them has already been done. And that's the gift that we have. We can go up to anybody and speak to them as if what they need has already been provided. See, he has given. See, he has given. So beautiful. I can't put that in a box. There's not a formula for that. How does that work? Nicodemus said to Jesus, tell us, what do we have to do? Don't tell anybody what to do because they'll do it. And then they go around thinking, hey, I saved myself by what I did. That's not good news. That's to take the burden back on again. Because now you've got to keep doing it. Maybe you've got to do it better. See, he has given. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Praise the Lord. Father in heaven, I just thank you for your beautiful Holy Spirit in this place. Just thank you for every single person. Just thank you for every life. I thank you that you are just so delighted that we are sitting together with you at this feast that you have longed to have with us, to share your life with us, to share everything you have with us, to overwhelm us, Lord. These things are too great for us, but you've promised us that you're going to lead us into this truth. There are some things even today I cannot take in. I know, Lord, that we'll be believing things maybe in five years' time that we even don't even have the capacity to take in right now. But I thank you that you're not in a hurry because you know that you're the one who's going to complete the good work you've begun. So I just pray for that wonderful rhythm of your grace to be in our lives, that we will walk at your pace. We will not be pressurized by this world to try and achieve something or make something of ourselves. But we, Lord, will be like with you. are. You walked in total rest. And because you walked in total rest, you had time for people. You had time to hear what the Spirit was saying. I just thank you for a wonderful unction of rest into every disturbed soul in this place, Lord. You know, we come away from this conference knowing everything's okay. Even you walk back into your family and nothing appears to have changed. You will know in your spirit everything's changed because Christ has risen from the dead. Father, we just thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that the good work you've begun, uh, you will complete. We thank you that you help us, Lord, just to love people. Because people, even people who attack us, are only trying to save themselves. I just thank you, Lord, that even as they see the peace in our lives, they will know that we are reigning in life because we have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I just thank you for every family represented here. I thank you that while we've been here over these three days, there's been such beautiful things happening in our families. 
I thank you, Lord, that when you, you put Adam to sleep, you put Abraham to sleep. I thank you that when you put our souls to rest, we're going to see amazing things, so much more than we asked or imagined or attempted to do in our own strength. We thank you for the day we're living in. We thank you that all things turn to the good. We thank you for the restoration of all the years the locusts have eaten. We thank you, Lord, we can look back and we can say, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. We declare this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Bless you. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, brother. That was powerful. I love speaking from the heavenly perspective. And just, it, it ought to be the normal, but it's just so radical to even think about preaching the gospel from the heavenly perspective. And we have this funny saying in the United States, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Right? And I ask people all the time when you think about the preaching of the gospel, what came first? Abraham believed or God called Abraham the father of many nations. And I hate to twist up all your theology, but that's how I get down. Abraham did not first believe, and then he became the father of many nations. God called him the father of many nations and gave him something to believe. And, and that's the spirit of faith, actually. It says the spirit of faith calls things which be not as though they were, so that they could have something that could bring them forth. And, and Paul said, we having the same spirit of faith are calling people forth out of the darkness into the light. And, and we've, we've preached the gospel as a, a potential truth. Like God isn't your father, but if you'll believe, then he can become your father. You don't really have a father. You are actually an orphan is what we've been saying. But if then you can believe, then you'll no longer be an orphan. But that's not the spirit of faith. God looked at Abraham when Abraham was dead in the flesh. He couldn't have any kids. Sarah can't have any kids. And God called him the father of many nations. And he received strength from what God said to appear as what God called him. And so when God poured out the Holy Spirit, that is God declaring to everyone in the world that he is their father. And they are not orphans. They have not been left alone to care for their own life. They have not been left alone to clothe themselves. They have not been left alone to gather peace and love and joy to themselves. That he's with them, and it's his good pleasure to claim them as his own. And so the gospel is the declaration to people that they do have a, a father. That the father of lights in heaven is their father. That's the declaration of the gospel. And what happens is, if you can hear that and grab a hold of that and say that it's true, which is to call upon the name of the Lord, to call upon the name of the Lord means to allow God to surname you. And how can you allow God to sur surname you unless he first came to surname you? And I don't know if you know what it means to be surnamed. It means someone showed up to put their name on your birth certificate. And so God showed up to claim you as his own. And that's how he poured out his life. And when he poured out his life into the earth, do you know what he's saying? You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased, which is what he said to Jesus before Jesus had even been tempted and resisted the temptation yet. And Jesus received strength 
from the word, you are my beloved son. And then the, the spirit descended like a dove, the life of God descending like a dove. And Jesus received strength in that moment, right, to come forth as what he was. And so that's the power of the gospel where we make a declaration and we see that God has declared that he is the father of all people. And we come and call people forth out of the darkness into the light by telling them that the father in heaven has revealed himself to be their father, that he has come to surname them so that they can call upon the name of the Lord. And how do you call upon the name of the Lord? You say father. Well, how can you call God father unless he first comes and tells you he's your father? Luke, I am your father. <laughs> it's funny, Darth Vader says that to Luke, and then later on in some of the Star Wars, Luke kind of starts seeing himself in the face of Darth Vader and seeing himself as Darth Vader. It's this powerful thing when you can see God come and say to you, and you can see the spirit being poured out. It's God saying, you are my beloved children, right? And what can happen is if you can believe or allow yourself to be persuaded. That's what it means to believe. We even say the word believe, and it, it leaves a connotation of, of an active action. To believe actually means to be persuaded of something, which is actually a passive action. It means something comes to persuade you, and you allow it to persuade you. Right Now, when you allow what God has said about himself being your father and pouring out his life into the earth, you know the only way we can even partake with God in his life is if we are actually his children? How could we have an inheritance stored up for ourselves in God if we're not his children? How do we even have a right to come and partake of his life if we're not his children? And that's what you come and declare to the world, come home. Well, if they don't have a home, where are they coming to? And what can happen is if you can believe what God has declared in the earth through the Lord Jesus Christ, you will receive strength from the life of Christ to appear as what he's called you. Right? And the strength to appear is that there's a life in God that will cause you to overcome the death in the world. And that's what it means to appear as the sons of God. And there's something in this earth trying to keep you from appearing as the sons and daughters of God. And it's called death. And God knows that death is standing opposed to you appearing as the sons and daughters of God. And what he does is he comes to strengthen you to overcome the death that's in the earth and to appear as the sons and daughters of God. That's called the spirit of faith. Right? Glory to God. Thank you guys so much. I'm sorry. That pre preaching really affects me. And so everything you were saying about speaking from the heavenly realm, I just, I just kept thinking of the spirit of faith and the way it actually works. Right? Faith comes to us to persuade us of something. And the way you're obedient isn't by what you do or don't do. It's by allowing yourself to be persuaded of what faith says. And disobedience would just be to refuse to be persuaded. Right? And so thank you, brother. Thank you so much for, for preaching tonight. If anybody wants prayer, if anybody wants any type of counsel, man, we'll be up here to pray for you. We'll be up here to minister to you. We'll be up here to laugh with you, to cry with you.
to hug you, whatever it is that uh, you might need. We're here. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. You guys have a great night.